0: Whether you are a journalist who wants to start doing a podcast, or you're an anthropologist who has an interest in anthropology that wants to tell a story, this resource can then tell you how to create a podcast of your own for free.
1: While many people may want to start their own podcast, the process for doing so remains a mystery. Have no fear. This week, we talked to an educator who has put together an online resource. I'm Michael O'Connell. This is It's All Journalism. Jill Olmsted is a professor of journalism and the former journalism division director at the American University School of Communication. She's an on-air television and radio news director, reporter, and editorialist, as well as a producer, editor, photographer, and news manager for stations around the country. Jill has also written a new book, Tools for Podcasting, to help educators and students figure out this whole podcasting thing. Welcome to the podcast, Jill.
0: Thank you very much.
1: So, this is this is kind of great. You're a colleague here at American University. Uh, you s- certainly have a much longer and greater amount of experience in broadcast journalism than I have, so... When I heard that you're doing a podcasting book, I thought this is kind of cool. This is really a great thing. So, to be fair, you know, I welcome you to our podcast. But you've actually been on It's All Journalism before. You were the person who put together the panel that I, that you and I were on at Busboys and Poets. That was our 300th episode. So, welcome back. I guess is the the more appropriate. Welcome to you. But one of the things I like to do when I have a journalist on the podcast is sort of talk about your journalist journey. You know, tell me about your career and and how you ended up at American.
0: Well, I was very fortunate to have a love of news when I was in grade school. And then it just fed nurtured by really good teachers in uh, suburban Minneapolis, Hopkins School District, and I'll give a shout out to my old journalism instructor, Sharon Halliwell, who gave me the confidence I was a newspaper editor that continued into college. And while I was in college at the University of Minnesota, I interned at a local television station. While I was there, I was hired part-time as a producer for the Weekend News. And those were in the days of the Mary Tyler Moore Show. TV Guide came and they did an interview with our newsroom, calling it the real life newsroom of Mary Tyler Moore, and they called me the apprentice Mary. So how's that for a start in the business? Well,
1: Minneapolis. She she was a local news producer, right? Wasn't fictional, that, okay, sure. Fictional, yeah,
0: but. WJM, I think it was. But I always had this love for journalism, and after college, then I went to a small market television station. Uh, did a lot of farming stories. That was the. Uh, and resorts were up there. Then I went to a medium-sized market in Toledo, Ohio. Got a wonderful opportunity to produce news, to do anchoring, and producing and shooting and the whole bit. And then you come to this point in your career where you're either gonna go to the next bigger market, or you decide to do something else. I had come from a family of teachers And I was a bit restless. A very good friend of mine had just gone off to Washington, D.C. as a producer. And she was telling me these wonderful stories. And so I decided to go to graduate school. And while I was in graduate school, I was also working at an independent bureau covering Capitol Hill. Ironically, all these years later, I teach a course in covering Capitol Hill and legislative issues, Supreme Court, et cetera. So it's kind of come full circle.
1: Well, cool. That's sort of the point where you decided I'm going to be an educator?
0: It is. You know, you decide you're either going to go chase the next big market. And I really had no interest in network news. I was always into local news. And I just, you come to a certain point in your career, medium-sized market, I'm On billboards I'm well known around town but it got tiring Um, anchoring is not um, as exciting as I think a lot of people think it is I really enjoyed my time more as a reporter
1: yeah and it's kind of interesting because a lot of times there's this sort of push and maybe that's just your perception when you start out that you know oh, I want to anchor 60 be on 60 minutes or I want to anchor the nightly news or something and you're always pushing and driving. You know there are a lot of journalists who come to D.C. because they think, well, that's the next, the next natural progression in my career. And a lot of people come here and are kind of disappointed that you know things don't break the way they want them to break, or they, you know, that they get a job and they decide that they really don't like the job. The, the job that they had in Toledo, the job they had in the the smaller market, is the one that made, gave them the most joy. It, journalism is a, is kind of a funny career.
0: Oh, it is. It, I mean, it's a very exciting career. I'm still very uh, into it. I'm a news junkie. I try to get my students excited by it. But I also try to give them a real dose of reality about long hours, low pay. Uh, the only people that you hear about in the profession are the ones that are really making the big-time bucks. That's not most of journalism. Um, and so... Um, yeah, I decided to make that career change, and I went through a big period of withdrawal, of wanting to go out on these stories. I'm now over it. <laughs> I think in part because of the social media age. Our kids today have to do that. I am not real big into social media as a person, a middle-aged person here, but that is a necessity in the business. Um, I just see so much negativity I try to keep away from that.
1: Yeah. So, well, how long have you been, been teaching? This is my 30th year. Well, congratulations on, on, on hitting that milestone. So I imagine the journalism students of 30 years ago very different than the journalism student today, or are you seeing a lot of the same lives well, and interests? and?
0: They are different because it used to be in graduate school. This is not just in journalism. It's across the board. Students came to graduate school with some years in the workplace, usually, not fresh out of college. Now there's been a change, and we still do get career changers, people who have worked in whatever job, and then decide to go back to graduate school. But, as I tell students, it's not that you have to have a graduate degree, but you do have to have a portfolio. And if you've got that portfolio as an undergraduate and doing internships and all these other things that you can do, then that'll get you a foot in the door. So it's it's not that graduate education is great, especially if you start to get into management and corporations are looking at your, at your background on paper, having that master's degree really looks good.
1: Yeah, and I've talked about this before in our podcast that I came back to school, to American University, you know, mid-career, late mid-career, because I needed skills to get you know get up to speed in, in digital journalism. And I consider myself a digital journalist now, which is very kind of different than what I was before. And even so, you know, it's been seven years since I, I graduated, and it, things are still very different. The industry has changed. It continues to change. And it's kind of fascinating. And having the opportunity to be on the other side, being an adjunct teaching podcasting, observing a lot of these graduate students come in there are some that are that are out in the workplace they're 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 coming back mid-career but there are a lot of them that you know I need to check off this box of graduate school it's like <laughs> I wish I had an answer for them about what the best way to do it but I think right you're right you have that portfolio you have that experience you have to have drive you have to have experience you have to have stories that you worked on you have worked on you have to show that you're willing to put in the hours.
0: The good thing about going in a school environment is that you get critiques and quite often, as you know, in the workplace, they don't have time for critiques. You'll just get fired right, or not work your way up. And so we give a lot of feedback, spend a lot of time on, on reporting, which is different than writing. Another change from years ago is that people were used to talking to people face to face. Today's generation, lots of times, they are looking in this electronic device they do interviews via email or texting or whatever. That is one way, but it's not the best way. No. The best way is to look somebody in the eyes and to be able to read their body signals and to interact with them in a really human way. And a lot of kids are afraid of that, so we have to get them over that. And how do you do that? It's practice, practice, practice.
1: Yeah, and that was something that I was sort of warned about when I became a, an adjunct. They said that your students are going to, they're not going to go out and interview people. They're going to try to do it over the phone. They're going to try, if they do it over the phone, they'll try to do the interview via email. Fortunately, because I, I work in a like a podcasting class, you know, you got to get sound. So you're going to have to go face to face. Although I do teach, you know, how do you how do you record conversations remotely? Because, to be honest, a lot of times the only way you're going to get a particular interview is if you, you know, use one of these apps or you, you figure out a landline situation where you can record a conversation over the phone or online. But anyway, so that in a sort of roundabout way that gives us kind of back into podcasting. So what inspires you to write this podcasting book?
0: Well, there were a couple of different things. Originally, I was going to do just a chapter in a book about audio storytelling. Then I started to do some research, and I found out all these fascinating things. I went to a conference at Harvard called Sound Education. It was for educators and academics that are doing podcasting. And what I saw and heard from were literature professors who knew nothing about audio who were doing podcasts along with a lot of other fields too and kudos to them for having the guts to do that so i saw a need not only by educators for journalistic type skills but the other really big part of it is an initiative which in academia we call oers open educational resources in other words a free textbook in today's world kids are paying so much for tuition that they can't afford to buy textbooks. In fact, the Bureau of Labor Statistics says that textbooks rose by 63 percent from 2006 to 2016. So that makes a have and a have not in the educational world, and I don't like that. So I decided, okay, this is getting richer and richer with all of this information. So I'll put this in one place. There are a lot of places you can get information about podcasts, but let's put in one place an overview, some interactive audio and video, tutorials, exercises. I paid a good deal of attention to diversity in pictures for one thing. And here's something I learned. There are free resources out there for photographs, but a lot of the time I was really looking hard to find faces of color and there's a great need for that because uh, overwhelmingly the pictures were of white and of white males so I made a concerted effort in something as simple as photography all the way to job sources and using inclusive websites that would talk about diversity in every single role. So hopefully, whether you are a journalist who wants to start doing a podcast, or you're an anthropologist who has an interest in anthropology that wants to tell a story, this resource can then tell you how to create a podcast of your own for free.
1: Yeah, which is always nice. And and we'll include a link to uh, your website and to where people can download the book with our web materials for for this podcast. You know, I I wrote a book about podcasting. Yes, you did. It's kind of how I ended up at AU as an instructor. And, you know, I wasn't coming at it from an audio production background, even though I was producing stuff, some audio, and I worked kind of at a radio station. That wasn't necessarily my strength, but I'd been doing podcasts for, for such a long time that I kind of, there were some lessons that I kind of learned, and I wrote a book that was more from the perspective of, okay, you want to do a podcast? Well, this is how you do a podcast, and less of, you know, a journalism podcast, which now I'm teaching a class in journalism school about, about podcasting, but that's my confused life. So let's talk about this because this is something I really kind of think of a lot about when, I, when I'm planning on my curriculum for from, from my class is what do we need to be teaching journalists about podcasting?
0: You know, this is the big struggle because when I teach an audio course it's hard enough to get them to recognize what a good story is and how to write it for like a commercial radio station but I also want to expose them to the NPR type style So you're teaching them interviewing, reporting, which is different from writing, and writing for broadcast, which, of course, is very concise. And then you introduce, try to introduce podcasting into this. Well, I think podcasting might be seen by some folks who haven't done it. Oh, I can just get out there and talk about something. (laughs) And every single person that I've talked to who has done it has found out, whoa, some really hard lessons. Yeah. So I guess the challenge is, for those of us who are educators, is how to cram all of that stuff in, particularly in an age when we've got this huge problem with verification, which is worrying me a great deal. I spent most of my career in television news, but I did radio, too. And, of course, television can be a little bit easier in terms of verification because you can see the person, except now for artificial intelligence. I'm sure right. you probably heard that thing about Joe Rogan's uh, podcast in which they they did an artificial intelligence thing making him say something that he really didn't say. That's really scary, especially as we head into election time. Right.
1: Something you sort of touched on in there is this idea of journalism standards and uh, ethics in the way that we approach it. And, and I was at I was at Podcast Movement last year. I sat in on a presentation by a journalist who was talking just about that. That you know, trying to get podcasters to think more like a, like a journalist, not just turn on the microphones to talk, but you know, have follow up questions and try to verify something that somebody says, challenge them you know, call them out when something's, something's incorrect. Transparency, you know, showing where, who these people are. You know, I've had people reach out to me to be guests on the podcast, and I'll look into their background, and I see. you know what? I'm not going to have this person on because I'm not too sure about their background. I'm not too sure exactly if they have a political bent or agenda or something. I really just want to talk to people about journalism and how to do good journalism. So, I mean, it's a challenge.
0: You know, an interesting story about that that I was just talking with someone the other day is we once had a, a student, graduate student, come in into our boot camp, which is the summer program we have to get them ready for grad school, and they quit because they wanted to do all opinion and we were too fair, too balanced. <laughs> and the thing is that you can be an advocate, you just have to label it as such. So, Advocacy journalism, which is kind of a loaded phrase, I just want people to know where their information is coming from. So you're absolutely right to be worried about that. Yeah, thinking.
1: I, I had an I did a podcast about advocacy journalism, and I had a bunch of people like, "Well, that's not journalism. That's not real. You have to be impartial. You can't, you know, like, well, I'm trying to talk to." Future journalists, people in their career, and, you know, we're using all the same sort of skills to do a different type of journalism. And, yes, we have sort of these standards. But to your point, it's like as long as you identify where you're coming from. But also, you know, podcasting is this, you know, and I'm glad you mentioned diversity because one of the things that I love about podcasting is it gives an opportunity to people with lots of different voices who aren't being covered by mainstream media or news outlets to get their opinions out there, to you know, do a type of reporting that they're not going to get elsewhere. And because it's such a personal medium and people kind of, you know, tend toward podcasts that that interest them, that sort of align with their, their sort of thinking, you know, that, that's a whole another question we go into about <laughs> marginalizing your selection of news or narrowing the selection of news. But the fact is, a lot of people have voices that didn't have voices before because of podcasts, for, for good and for bad. I think it's a really good thing. One of the things that I noticed in podcasts as we look at it in the news industry is that you know a lot of news outlets now are turning to podcasts because they recognize it as a different platform to reach their audiences so you know for me you know having been out in the job market off and on for the last last year so i see a lot of podcasting jobs out there that there are websites there are Outlets, there are you know their PR firms, et cetera, that are they're looking to get into podcasting in some way. So that, that set of skills is something that industry, the news industry, is interested in, in getting.
0: Exactly, and what's happening now, as far as the the trends go and everything, you have major players like iHeartRadio that is like in two hundred and seventy some markets. They already had podcasts, now they're going to start this thing on Sunday night podcasts so that people who don't know what a podcast is or how to get it will be able to hear it on a regular radio station. Now the question is, since it's not downloadable and it's not really done on a podcast device like an app on your phone, how can you really call it a podcast? That's that's one of those those questions out there. But big business has found podcasts. That worries me a little, and, and it also gives me hope because we can't afford to do all of this for free. It, I mean, it it's people's lives. It takes a lot of time and effort. And back to the diversity issue, you know, it's interesting because even though the numbers show that the podcast audience is still predominantly male and white. The numbers of women getting into it, listeners, is growing. And now there are some wonderful efforts to grow diversity in the hosts. There are several programs. There's now this thing called POC Audio Directory, where uh, it lists producers and hosts, editors, engineers, of color, and that was in response to the broadcast industry saying, well, we can't find them. We can't find people of color. Sure. They're out there. There's a new female-founded podcast network, Erios, that began in, in June. A work at the WNYC Women's Festival for Podcasting, is raising awareness of female podcast hosts. Google Podcasts has a, has a program for underrepresented voices. And even Spotify, which has now become a huge player, has got an accelerator program to support women of color called SoundUp. So all of these are ways that are reflective of what is happening in this country and are bringing more people and more diverse voices into the podcast community, into the listening audience.
1: And I think it's a good thing. I also think... One of the things I've noticed over the last few years is a sort of shift in understanding of what podcasts are. I mean, I can't tell you how many times over the years that I've talked to broadcasters who would say, oh, yeah, I know how to do audio, so I, I can do a podcast. And I was like, no, not yes and no. You know how to do audio production. You know, maybe you know how to report and to tell a story. But a podcast is really kind of a different thing. I really do believe and maybe you don't don't agree with me. But I think we need to start thinking of podcasting, even though it is audio, is not radio. And there are podcasts that come from radio. There are you know, NPR podcasts, some great podcasts that come out of that. Reveal, for example, is a, is a great radio show that they release as a podcast that does really well. And that's investigative journalism. But I don't see a lot of people talking about the fact that you know podcasting is sort of a bottom-up type of thing. There are people who have very small audiences. They have a very... Uh, particular focus, and then there are people who are able to s- start in that space and sort of grow it up into their particular company, their particular brand, et cetera. And I don't know if you get that in a in an environment like you know, like broadcast radio, where you know the radio stations control certain things, and, and then you know they're they're going to be doing that. I think podcasting is its own separate th- medium in a way, uh, both as a as a business, but also as a creative outlet.
0: It's very niche, and that has always been a strength of traditional radio, as where television, for example, has been mostly a, a wider audience. You try to appeal to the wider audience. Now, if you have shows like The Daily from The New York Times, that's a general news type of a product. There are some very successful broadcast podcasters, but I agree with you that they can be successful or they can fall flat on their face because they're trying to do it in a traditional broadcast way. And I think what we're finding is that audiences are looking for probably less formality and more conversation and more interaction. And that's part of what people like about it, not to mention the fact that it's portable and it's on demand. And that's huge in today's world.
1: Yeah. And that's something in many ways that radio really can't compete with so because of that because of its distribution system and also the the informality the the accessibility you feel like you know your host you feel like this is just a conversation between a few friends who are really hyper interested about this whatever this particular particular topic is
0: well it's a conversation as opposed to being a tightly written script right now of course there are some very highly produced podcasts mostly by npr that put little scenarios within a podcast so they'll do a tightly scripted story that gives a message and then have a conversation about it, which is one very effective way of doing it.
1: Right. The one, um, Start Here, the ABC Morning News Mm -hmm. podcast... That's kind of struck a really kind of nice balance because it's reporting, but it's also, you know, they, you know, here's what the story is, and then they bring the reporter in and have a conversation with the reporter about the story. It's sort of combining both the structure of a, a, a radio news report and the sort of, you know, more loose.
0: Take uh, back the curtain, exactly. look behind the scenes.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think people appreciate that because I think, I think part of the success for a lot of people that what draws them to podcasting is this lack of overproduction. Uh, this lack of sort of overcommercialization commercialization uh, you know commercials every 5 minutes you know these morning like zoo type shows that every 5 minutes they have a break or they have a sound effect or they go to and everything sort of structured or they're shouting at you yeah and that they're break you know they've got a break at 15 every 15 minutes the malleability of podcasts i really do not think we've explored this quite enough i think there are things like radio lab where they've done some sort of experimental storytelling things like lore with their personal monologues. But I think, you know, things like micro podcasts, podcasts that are two, three, five minutes long, daily podcasts, I think there's room for growth in that. I think there's uh, longer podcasts as well. You know, something like Dan Carlin's uh, Hardcore History, which sometimes is four hours long an episode. Granted, you have to wait.
0: Wow, You're, I, I can't have, even stay in a two hour movie. You yet. have to you have to wait four months
1: for him to put out an episode. But it's a great, great, great podcast. It's more like it's actually it's more like a like a book, uh, like an audio book. So just this a variety in a podcast. Actually, one thing I've, I've been curious about: you wrote this book. You you, you thought about writing it by going to this conference. Had you been listening to podcasts before?
0: Just a little bit. And I still have a long way to go because I've been so busy researching and putting it all together and reading about them, finding out about the hot areas. I mean, true crime and investigative podcasts are really huge right now. And being quite shocked at (laughs) just how hyper local they can be if you want to find out about rock climbing there's multiple podcasts out there for it so as you well know the the hardest part is discoverability yeah. is how in the world so here's where i found newsletters come in very handy because they will point out different topics and in fact i've included those in my in my resources at the appendix the, the back of my book. So there are suggestions on where to look to find out about all these different podcasts because it, it's just overwhelming. I mean, there's over 700,000 podcasts out there now.
1: Yeah. I remember when Serial came out, one of the brilliant things that they did at the beginning was, you know, we're going to launch this podcast and, you know, we, we know these people, our audience will listen to long form audio stories, but they may not know how to get a podcast. So, Ira Glass, did a video a classic showing his grandmother or, or a grandmother how to listen to a podcast and it's kind of brilliant and I think we still need to do that in many ways that if you've got a mobile device if you've got a, a smartphone probably have a, a built-in podcast platform in there that you're not taking advantage of
0: exactly and I'm not going to say what my age is but as the middle age that I am there are people that don't know what well, podcasts are.
1: Well, well, you know, you did, you did say you start <laughs> got, into, got into journalism <laughs> when you were in grade school, so technically you're 35 or Yeah, yeah right, right,
0: right, right. Yeah. But what's interesting now is some of the research is showing that the newbies to podcasting are finding out about it through YouTube and Facebook Live.
1: Yeah.
0: Not through the traditional app that the people who have been listening to podcasts for three, four, five years— That's the way they got into it, but not today. And then, of course, the other big factor is that all the kids are into music from Spotify, right? Spotify, of course, bought up, what, three different companies in the past year, and so they have made this great big effort. So if the kids already have an access system through their music streaming, it's just a natural progression for them to get into podcasting then. And that's being utilized by big business. yeah,
1: and Google, for example, they they bought up a like an audio transcription company. and you know, they're not publishing this, but the, behind the scenes, they are transcribing podcasts so that they can become more searchable. So I mean, discoverability continues to be a problem, but you know, I know this notice that you had in your book some of the data uh, from Edison, I mean, there's just been continuous sort of steady growth over the last 10 years in, in listenership and awareness of podcasts.
0: In 2019, this is a milestone year. More than half of the American population say they had listened to a podcast at least once. So that's an increase of 20 million from the previous year. That size is one factor. NPR's head said that he thought that Podcasting in five years is going to be bigger than regular broadcasting, and as evidenced by the recent announcement by iHeart getting into putting its podcasts on air, that may well be. Gosh, just this past summer, we had this United States Supreme Court reviewing a case and throwing out a murder conviction, ordering a new trial on a case that was brought to the attention of everyone by a podcast podcast, in the dark, yeah, Yeah. by APM. And we've got podcasts now winning major journalism awards, uh, Peabody's, ESPN had a premiere party, just just like a movie. And then there's a huge thing with Spanish-speaking podcasts because of the large number of Americans that are speaking Spanish at home and the growth in Latin American countries. So, uh, in fact, the Washington Post, from what I understand, is going to be adding in September a couple of uh, news and analysis podcasts for Spanish speakers. So you add to that the greatest growth in the 12 to 24 age bracket, it's huge now, and it's going to get much bigger.
1: Yeah, and you can look to other industries. I mean, you certainly look to what's happened to network television. You could see podcasting as, well, maybe the arrival of cable that, you know, a lot of people are they're paying extra to get get a podcast They're paying for an extra an app so they can get a podcast. But once you turn bring in streaming and once you bring in the ability to, you know, program your own content to seek out content that's specific to you, it kind of sort of this demand for engaging con content those barriers where people are, are are expecting somebody to deliver something to you at a particular time a particular, particular day are kind of going away
0: well That's- speaking of television yeah several yeah. podcasts now are being made into television shows Yeah, we had that with i think it was with Julia was, Roberts yeah. there was one and now the Canadian uh, broadcasting company is going to be starting uh, five television shows so there's all this crossover.
1: Yeah, it's really just a matter of, you know, people are looking for good content. People are, the one thing I found about podcasts is they're always looking for the next podcast to listen to.
0: Well, of course, there's a differentiation there, right? Because there's confusion, as you well know, about subscription. If I have a subscription to the Washingtonian magazine, I pay for it, right? right. Subscription in podcast term has traditionally meant free. That's changing. So if you subscribe and pay, then you can you can get, of course, a commercial-free podcasts. If you pay a subscription, so I mean, there is a lot of movement in right.
1: I mean, you look at things like like a Hulu model, where you can pay X amount of dollars and get commercial-free, or you pay a little less and you get, you know, you get some commercials that, that you sort of deal with. It's sort of what your price point is. I think people's willingness now through apps, through things like Netflix, this willingness to, yeah, I can just sign up for a subscription that's going to be taken out of my account automatically every month because I I want to get this type of content. I think what we'll see, you know, for advertisers, I know that a lot of the reticence over the last, the reticence for a lot of different things, one of which was, you know, how do we measure the audience? And that's still... Being hammered out, but I think we're certainly much better off than we were five years ago. But this idea that well, they wanted to deal with a network, they wanted to deal with somebody who could give them certain amount of numbers, and I think we're starting to see these you know like Spotify, we you know Slate, these different network like entities that are collecting podcasts that are looking for subscribers and, and creating different
0: types of content. I think
1: that's going to help with the discovery aspect of it. I think a lot.
0: That's what I think is helpful about my book is that you can take someone who has absolutely no experience and give them the tools to create a podcast. And you can take people who are journalists who perhaps have not done audio or know how to explore that world and do a podcast. So it's it's really meant to People can take from it different things that they need or may not know. And it's continuing because it's online. Yeah. I add to it just about every day, a new link, a new piece of information. You know, you speak about measurement. The IAB, which is a certification for podcast numbers, has just been certifying a good deal of measurement from some companies because they're, they're trying to get a playing field that is even in terms of what do these numbers mean? Is it, so what if you got a million downloads? Who actually listened right. to it? So there's all that confusion over downloads versus do people really listen? When do they tune out? NPR has a, has a program called RAD in which there's some technology inside it so that it'll tell you when people have started to tune out, right, which is helpful for advertisers. Well,
1: it's helpful for advertisers. We had the um, the people who are doing the uh, NPR app on the podcast, and they talked about measurement and how you know they provide them for information for for advertisers, but it also provided them information for the the producers. Like you know, yeah, you did this forty five minute podcast. You've only got one percent of the people who who signed into this to, to listen to all forty five minutes. But you had people for fifteen minutes. Maybe you should do a fifteen minute podcast. And so you began to see them adjusting the way they were podcasting to, you know, just because they learned of how how we're doing things. It's so funny, we we talk about broadcast ratings and numbers and every, and if we, if you actually look at a lot of those numbers, there is a little hinky magic in there, uh, sort of some trusts and assumptions about them.
0: Oh, that that's always been a problem. I mean, you know, and I had to pay attention to those as an anchor. Yeah. oh. My goodness, that's whether you stay employed or not, is whether you're number one or number two. But everybody knows that the difference is that everybody knows that the numbers that the broadcast like television news uses are flawed, but everybody uses the same bank of numbers. The difference in podcasting is that you could choose to use one number over another number. And so if there becomes more standardization about what is it that we're really talking about, it becomes a more valuable yeah, tool,
1: and there, you know, there are a lot of big advertisers who have already walked across the line and said, "Yeah, we're going into podcasting because we kind of trust the audiences that we're the information that we're getting." And once we get more of that standardization, more will follow. More money will come into the system. More people will be able to be paid to to do this this wonderful thing. I probably should ask this at the beginning. When to ask this as sort of a follow up question, what makes a good podcast?
0: Well, I think the subject has to capture imagination and the host needs to be engaging. I would also add great production. Now, maybe that's my bias as a, as a broadcaster, but I can't listen to a podcast that is just poorly done. And I try to get that through to my students. But I think those three elements, I mean, if I'm not interested in the topic, why am I going to waste my time on it? Yeah. And, if, and if the host is not doing an articulate job of being engaging and not being stuffy. I, I don't want a pompous host. I want a friendly host. I want someone who's, I mean, you're in my ear. Right. You can't get much more personal than that. And so podcasts are usually something we do alone while we're in route to someplace mm. or we're doing an errand. It's not like we're sitting down. Some people do listen to podcasts from a computer but the vast majority of people are doing something else at the same time or even if they're reclining in a chair it's usually a solo experience and you know one of my chapters is about vocal delivery I'm not trying to make broadcast sounding people, I'm just trying to make sure that you understand you have to have clear diction you have to talk at a pace that is not overly fast and that you get away from some irritating habits, of which I'm not going to go into all of those, but but I, we've all heard
1: them. I've done I've done a lot of those in this this interview. I know, Jill. Thanks for coming on the podcast. This has been great.
0: It was such a treat to uh, talk about this subject with you, and I really hope people will tune in for tools for podcasting. And I guess you're going to have the link on your site, yep. but I appreciate it because yeah, it was a lot of work, but it was a labor of love. And it's continuing. Yeah. Thanks again. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to It's All Journalism, a weekly podcast about the people who make the news. You can find out more about us and download past episodes at itsalljournalism.com. While you're visiting our website, why not sign up for the It's All Journalism newsletter? You'll get all the latest info about our podcast, including episode notes and news about live events and upcoming interviews. Go to itsalljournalism.com to subscribe. We also just posted the results of our online survey about journalism resources. Check out what tools some of our readers are using to make good journalism. Everyone who took our survey received a free It's All Journalism mug. If you'd like to score a mug of your own, take one of our surveys. Go to it'salljournalism.com to learn more. It takes a lot of people to create an episode of It's All Journalism. Nicole Grisco produced this episode, Amber Healy wrote our web content. Nick Dupre wrote our theme music. Emil Brust helped with our booking. Nicholas Hunter provided a web assist. And I'm your host, Michael O'Connell. It's All Journalism is produced in partnership with the Association of Alternative News Media. Thanks for listening.